Ladies and gentlemen, this is your places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Stand by lights one and sound one. Camera speeding. Audio speeding. Lights and sound. Go. And action. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm Tyler is back. He had his little fun audition well not audition actual commercial gig that he did two of them actually right oh yeah i forgot that (laughs) 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 we're like a couple weeks back yeah 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 uh yeah commercials are great uh one of them had amazing craft services and awesome people uh the second one was just like 10 hours of waiting with very little food or water and then just completely miserable for the shoot (laughs) that's I, i'm still mad about it like to that just can't be legal <laughs> yeah it's the joys of the dream right i know when you're, when you're like, living hey. the dream some days it's great other days it's not so good yeah so that was that was interesting but um no still thankful that i had two gigs yeah back to back in the same week uh which is why i wasn't in the episode uh the last one we had and it seems like it went really well i think i left right when you guys were recording too yeah i think you did but nice. helen and i had a great time um, Oh, that's cool just rub it in the face that's right yeah, i will <laughs> <laughs> when do your commercials air do you know i don't know uh for those of you who are listening if you are a well i think one of them might be somewhat regional so if you're around colorado or in colorado i should appear in a an unnamed commercial here in the next two months. And then if you're in Colorado, the other one I was a part of uh, will be kind of popping up. You'll see a lot of my hands and some of my face. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of green screen. But they Are you said, sure uh, this was a commercial and not something else, Tyler? No, that one paid more. Uh, <laughs> but their, their hand sanitizer and Clorox amount was just not up to snuff for what I'm used to. <laughs> So I said, you know what? I appreciate you putting down the tarp, but I'm not going to be a part of this. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're gross. <laughs> All right. Um, so the next couple of months then. Yes. Yeah. So uh, beginning of June, I would awesome. think. For oh, those. okay. Um, and then, you know, just waiting on other projects that I'm hoping will go through that I can't talk about, but fingers, fingers crossed. crossed it would be exciting things are happening yeah things are happening it all feels like a dream question mark Mm -hmm. segue into (laughs) who we have (laughs) for this week uh smooth very smooth (laughs) that was horrible uh this very uh horrible segue is all to say that we have a super awesome crazy cool guest i'm getting distracted on my freaking screensaver in the back so uh, <laughs> um we have a just a fantastic guest on for this week somebody that i have really looked up to and listened to since my uh, freshman year of, of college which was right around when inception came out and you may not know the name but you'll recognize what he's done today we're actually talking to well today as in a week ago we're talking to zach Hemsey, who is a composer, a filmmaker, a storyteller, a creative, and he's actually the one responsible for creating the track Mind Heist for the Inception trailer that everybody just kind of went crazy over. And 
has had a lot of, you know, opportunity to spread his music and his creativity through different projects like The Town, I think Game of Thrones, and a, a few video games. But he also has a film that came out last year called Birth that uh, he directed from in-house that he'll, uh, he'll tell us about a little bit later on the episode. But he's just, he's super cool. And he's a creative guy. So yeah, it's uh, it's just cool hearing his his process and getting to know more about somebody that I, you know, I didn't know his face until we got him on, on zoom, you know? <laughs> so right. I was like, Oh, this guy that I, I've, I've listened to for the last 10 plus years is just like the coolest, most humble person. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's introduce Zach Hamsey. Zach, how are you, man? What's going on? <laughs> I'm doing good over here in uh, New York state. Just hanging out. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, we'll jump right in. Can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Yes, uh, my name is Zach Hempsey, and I am a songwriter, composer, artist, um, and recently filmmaker as well. Um, so yeah, just I basically I, I I create whatever it is that I'm interested in creating. So um, most of the time, I'm just doing my thing as an artist. Occasionally, in the past, I've done some uh, original score for a project here or there, but for the most part, I'm just uh, an artist that creates what I do. That's Very awesome, cool. Man. Yeah, you you're responsible for half of the short films and features I wrote in college because I would listen to like Mind Heist and uh, the entire like Way album or the entire The Way album uh, right. in college just just writing whenever I could, man. So, uh, what is what's like an inspiration you've had to to get into this as a creator? Do you do you want to start with music right off the bat, or was it uh, just kind of being open to all sorts of different types of art? Um, I mean, I guess I, I can't point to any one thing. Um, I didn't, I started music at a fairly late age. Uh, I would think I was, I was about 10 years old, learned, took piano lessons for a few years, stopped it. And then kind of after that, I kind of just started tinkering with the piano and kind of was self-taught composer. Um, but I just found music fascinating. So I, I, I didn't do it with any agenda or goal in mind. I didn't have any expectation of it turning into a career. I just kept doing it. Um, and then days and weeks and months and years later, at some point I got good enough, I guess that other people thought it was good too. So <laughs> kind of just, you know, I, 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 it was intentional that I devoted the time uh, to, you know, getting better at it and learning more about it, but it was not intentional. That it was like a happy accident that I was able to leverage it into a career. And there was a point, you know, maybe when I was in my mid twenties that I thought like, Hey, maybe, maybe this can work. Let's, let's see, we'll give it a shot. Um, but I certainly did not have any expectations that it would work out. And I was very well aware that it most likely probably would not work out. And I was okay with that. I said, I'll give it a go. If it works out great. If not, then I'll just do something else. But I always knew I would do music, but I didn't, um, I was okay if I, if it wasn't the means of me having a livelihood, I was okay with that, you know, worst case scenario. Um, but fortunately it turned out the way it did. And here we are. Yeah. Was it, was there something that you were leaning towards if, you know, music wasn't going to be your livelihood that you were thinking about that um, was going to be your like, all right. No. But honestly, if it, if it wasn't going to be the music, then I kind of really didn't care. And in other words, yeah. if I was going to do something else that um, was just going to be a, for a paycheck, then um, that was fine. And I didn't really feel too whatever. I mean, hopefully do something that it was enjoyable or whatever, or help people or something like that. But I didn't have I didn't have a firm uh, B plan. I just knew my, my B plan was do something else. Um, right. and you'll just sort it out, you know, whatever. But 
did yeah. you end up going to school for music too or is this all self-taught kind no, I, of I, so okay so prior to school uh, prior to college okay um when i was in high school i was composing and i was like learning you know music software and you know arranging and doing stuff i had the synthesizer and i'm like trying to learn oh, the whole sweet. bit um and so I, I i was already on my way and then i just figured you have you know when i went to college and i got i got a liberal arts degree um you got a major in something. I said, well, fuck it. Why not music? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Might as well do that. Uh, and, and it was good. So I, you know, I, I, college is where I really delved into music theory, um, which expanded my scope, my horizons more so than before. I also had to took, took a bunch of other stuff with music that wasn't really for me, like music history or this or that or whatever. But the two main things in college as a music major that I would say helped me was music theory and uh, ear training. Those two things um proved to be very useful and expanded my um skill set for sure um but i didn't take any actual composing classes or or you know orchestration i didn't get into that real in any deep way i mean i didn't take any composing classes period but um there was i think i had in all of college i had like one one class that was on orchestration it was like a basic thing so from the arranging composing side college wasn't relevant but um, but from a music theory and ear training standpoint, it, it was. And then outside of that, you know, all the other stuff I took, half the classes were non-music related. It was whatever. I was just trying to take stuff that kept me interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, I guess, did you have a hand in, um, you know, like the music community around that time when you were in college? Did you go out and try and start different groups or attend like different? No. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am the, uh, I guess I, I follow, <laughs> my, my path has been the antithesis of what, the logical path would be that you know yeah. one would think yeah. like yeah you you network you meet people you whatever and that and that's a viable path but for whatever reason that just never was my path so when I went to when I went I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick New Jersey mm -hmm. um and they have a um music conservatory program and they got which which I was not in I was just in their liberal arts thing as a music major so when I, I was taking music classes I'm the only liberal arts guy in the sea of music conservatory people that are you know, in, in a totally essentially a different program um so they had their own crew they had their own clicks they had their own you know i'm just an outsider um which was fine i was just i, I was there i wasn't really there for me college was sort of a it's just something you're supposed to do mm -hmm. uh you know you're you grow up on that you have to go you quote unquote have to go to college um <laughs> You got to get that degree as a whatever in case stuff doesn't work out you need a you need a degree so i'm just really there i'm, I'm there to get in and get out out um serve my time basically <laughs> and try to try to make the best of it um so yeah i mean i was friendly with people but i never really formed any solid relationships in the music community they were all doing their thing they were doing like concerts and all kinds of stuff playing and orchestras i'm just i'm just a dude coming in taking a class hi bye you know so i didn't, I didn't end up networking or meeting anybody there and also too i guess for context um prior to college like when i was growing up as a kid once i first like i was maybe 14 years old when I started like tinkering on the piano trying to like compose stuff um and then by so by 14 15 16 I'm thinking like yeah one day maybe I'll be a film composer because I liked a lot of I grew up listening to basically film scores and kind of rock slash heavy metal music those were kind of the two genres that I mostly grew up listening to and I thought man you know maybe 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 I'll uh the, the film scores type sound really resonated with me and I thought maybe I'll maybe I'll pursue that and then when I was about 16 um i ended up making friends with some people that were hip-hop artists and they were um 
a, a group of lyricists that were kind of collectively, they would get together and they would write lyrics and rap and stuff like that, but they had no music and they had no whatever. And so they heard what I was doing and they kind of said, hey, maybe we can join forces and we can we can do something. And I, at the time I said, I guess yeah, we, we could try it. I mean, I don't really care for rap. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't, not only did I care for it, I really didn't like it at all. I thought yeah. everything I had been exposed to up to that point, I thought was absolutely awful. Um, and they, but I was still open to the possibility. Uh, and they, and they kind of, they kind of showed me another side of hip hop that when you were growing up, just hearing whatever happened to be on the radio, you would never see. And so mm. they exposed me to this other side of hip hop that uh, really opened my eyes to kind of the power of lyricism and the, and, and the power of songwriting in a way that at that time I hadn't really given much credence to. And so we, I started working with them initially just as a like the guy who made the music and then they were they were doing all the rapping and, and lyricism um and this group was called nine leaves and um kept doing it kept doing it with them and then and then my my ambition changed from oh i want maybe one day i'll be a film composer it changed from that to no one day we're gonna get signed we'll get signed by a label and we'll, we'll just be like we're gonna be a group we'll, we'll tour and we'll do this and we'll do that um and so that became my primary ambition and i carried that ambition into college so when i was going into college i'm looking to expand my my knowledge of music, um, but I'm not there to, like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. In my mind, like the 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 college is really irrelevant to the long term. Other than if I can gain some valuable knowledge, great. That will I will take that on my way. But otherwise, um, I'm there to kind of do my time and get out. And I guess maybe maybe that's why I wasn't trying to be in an orchestra. I wasn't trying to do performances or 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 whatever. And there was no real maybe I, I'm saying this based on my knowledge at the time, I was not aware of any like film community there anyway. Maybe there was one, I, I'm not sure, but so yeah. Um, and then ended, when I, just to, I guess, finish the thread there, uh, kept working with Nine Leaves, eventually became a lyricist myself. Um, and then I, we, I worked with Nine Leaves for about 10 years. And that was like my pride and passion, all of ours really, but uh, that was our pride and passion for about a 10 year period. And then, from there became a, a solo artist. And that's what I've been ever since. Yeah, when you made that jump, did you feel, uh, uh, it must've been kind of bittersweet to separate after 10 years from a group and then go on to do your own thing. Or did you feel pretty good about it? Like a, like a whole new door? How, how was that? I guess I didn't, I didn't really, um, it wasn't a thing, it, it, it was sort of a forced hand. So it wasn't mm -hmm. like, it wasn't like, hey, you know, I've been thinking, I don't think we're right for it. It wasn't like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was more that what happened is, is uh, they were all like a um, a year or two or three older than me, and life kind of just got in the way. And 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 you know they they some of them started families. They got kids. They're married. They're, they got to get jobs. Some of them got relocated. Right. So it's, life just started to get in the way, and it, it, we just got more and more separated um, to up to the point that I was kind of the last man standing. Mm. Um, but that was okay. I mean, it just is what I didn't feel bitter about it. I didn't feel excited about it. I just recognized like, this is just the reality. And so um, I just kept doing what I was doing. I was, I, before them, I was making music with them. I was making music after them, I'm making music. So it's just a question of now there's no one else around to kind of contribute to the songwriting and lyricism. Um, and so maybe that on that level, that was a little daunting because my first solo album was called Empty Room. That was my first full length album as a solo artist. And but at the time that a lot of that music was being made, Nine Leaves was still a thing. And in my mind, I'm making what's going to be a Nine Leaves album. So once it kind of became clear and crystallized, like, yeah, this is just, I'm gonna have to take this on my own. There, 
there was a little bit of a dauntingness to it because it's like, well, now I have a full length album that I'm, I need to, or not need to, but, but would like to um, bring a lyrical component throughout. Um, and that was sort of the first time I had that level of responsibility, if you will, before it was like, yeah, we can, we can kind of share the load um, on, a, on the lyrical side, but um, I'm used to, I'm, I'm used to not sharing the load on the music side, but on the lyrical side, I was always sharing the load. And so, and that was the kind of the first daunting thing, but, uh, but it was good because, you know, um, it, those kind of scenarios, they push you to be innovative. And, and it was in doing that in, in, in grappling with that, that I kind of found like, wow, like, all right, no, I got this. I'm good. Yeah. There's something here. <laughs> and because I was forced to, to kind of take some, some stuff on, I was, I was, I allowed myself to, um, inadvertently, it allowed me to, I guess, I don't know what the word is, but expand even my own sense of my own capabilities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you can find a way to describe how your process works in terms of composing and coming up with lyrics like for me I love music um and I feel like I have a good ear for it but I could never play an instrument or do anything like that because I just don't have my brain doesn't work that way do you think you you know how to describe how yours does yeah well I mean I can, there, there are aspects I can describe and then yeah. we can kind of just go off there and see if there's any anything in particular that comes up but um yeah so first of all when you're talking about a song that's got two components right it's got music and it's got lyrics um people do it different ways for me 100% of the time, I always start with the music. I'm just making music and I'm not worried about will there be lyrics, will there not be lyrics or anything like that. Uh, I'm just kind of exploring music space. And, and then to the extent that something piques my interest, I pursue it, develop it. Um, and then if it turns into something that uh, feels like, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you might come up with stuff and you think there's something there. And then you end up feeling like, nah, I don't really think this is worth pursuing. I'm not really feeling it. It's not resonating. I move on to something else. But for the most part, whatever you're pursuing that that is that is that you're gravitating to musically so let you've done a bunch of exploration on uh, uh, um whatever you pull up an instrument whatever it might be it's a piano it's a it's a it's a synthesizer it's a whatever and you're just kind of playing around you're just toying around experimenting exploring something peak oh man that's a, that's kind of a cool melody or that's kind of a cool riff you kind of just build on that you keep exploring it you go where the where the lead takes you mm. um and i'm doing that without worrying about will this be a song will it be good will it be bad will there be lyrics i'm not thinking about that i'm just i'm just saying hey this is interesting i'll keep doing it eventually if it if it if it blossoms into something that's um compelling then i'll put a lot of time into refining it and whatever but again i'm i'm really only worried about the music side i want the music uh I, i'm always working on the music such that it can stand on its own that in and of itself it's its own thing and then after the music gets, let's say 80, 80% to 100% completed, then I might start to think like, um, is the music asking for a lyrical component or not? Does it feel mm -hmm. like it, it wants something else? Does it feel like it wants that other layer? And sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is yes. Um, and when the answer is yes, I go, okay, I finished the music. And then I'll, I kind of restart from scratch, just now co totally focused on the lyrical side. So, um, so if I was making a full length album that, was kind of wall-to-wall -wall lyrics for the most part. The process would be, I make that album first, music only. Then I go back and oh. then I start working on the lyrics only and recording oh. and, and then I go back and then I mix the whole thing and try to really dial it all in. But I don't try to, like some people, they might work on one song uh, and they'll do this, the entire song start to finish, music, lyrics, recording, mixing, mastering, and then they move on to the next song. I don't do that. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the music first, uh, then I'll do the lyrics um, and then I'll do the mixing and the mastering and all that. So, wow. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about lyrics is that 
there's a specificity to lyricism that is absent in in just the music and and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing or so, not good or bad but sometimes it's something that you want and sometimes it's something you don't want um but so when you're listening to an instrumental without words uh there's an open-endedness i mean there might be a there might be a a general emotion or static or vibe that maybe everybody would be like agreed like whatever that's that's sad or that's really uplifting or that's whatever, fill in the blank. There might be general characterizations that we can all agree on about the nature of that music, but ultimately where that music takes you, absent words can be very, very different from person to person. But when you add in a lyrical component, all of a sudden there's a kind of a narrowing. Uh, mm -hmm. Now I guess to be fair, it could depend on the nature of the words, but, but in large part, words are going to narrow the scope of interpretation. It's gonna make it way less ambiguous and more specific. And especially if you're telling a specific story. So if you're if if, if the lyrics are telling a narrative, i.e., like a film or something like that, but in music in song form, then um, yeah, there's no ambiguity about what the story is here. We can all you know what I mean. And so in that way, it can it can join everybody in, into one single interpretation. And sometimes that's great. And other times you go, well, maybe there's some there's a value in not doing that. And that's why um, even when I make even when I release albums that have lyrics, I still see the value in those songs without the lyrics and i'll always release the corresponding like instrumental version because they they do different things the the, the lyrics do one thing and the absence of lyrics does another thing and both of those things are viable in my view and so that's why i always release them both ways that's really cool yeah i'd say you have a you have a really a clustered fan base of people who like both who like one or the other i for yeah. one like both like um nice to meet me is one of my favorites that you've ever composed and I've listened to it both ways. And either, I mean, you're exactly right. You get, um, you know, a really narrowed version with the lyrics, or you have that open-endedness of the the instrumentals themselves. And it's just fantastic. And I do want to ask you, like, when you're working on on something in all these phases, have you ever stopped between one project and then started on another one and then went back to another project? Not with that, or not, you know, with the mixing or the lyrics, but maybe taking a break from your approach to that specific project to work on something else until you felt ready to go back. Right, so uh, to make sure I'm following you, when you say project, you mean um, project might be an album or a song, whatever, and then leave that to do some other unrelated thing to that album or song. Yeah, 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 whether it's a song or the album itself, but you know, like when, um, for example, if I'm writing a, a, a script, I might stop at page 65 and then start a whole new one and then go back and finish act three for that script. I see. Uh, so, okay. So the answer, I guess, is sort of, <laughs> I will, within the context of an album, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's say it's going to be, a, 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 not that, not that I begin an album with a predetermined track list. I, it doesn't matter to me whether, whether I had 13 songs or 10 songs or whatever, but let's just say for a hypothetical scenario that you're making an album that's going to presumably have something like 10 songs, right? Um, when I'm working on, when I begin working, I'm not sure what's, what order I'm going in. I don't know what song order will be what. I'm just, okay, this is a song that I'm working on. This seems that worth pursuing. I will not necessarily, well, and actually not even that. I almost never will finish the music of one song completely before moving on to the next song. I will usually get the idea out. I'll kind of flush it out and then I'll get it maybe to the 10 to 20% mark. Like, okay, yeah, there's something here. And then I will move on. And I say, let me just put that aside now, work on, the, work on something else, keep exploring. Oh, there's something here. Get that to 10 to 20%, put it on the side, keep exploring, right? So I'll be more in, in my, my first pass is really more exploratory. 
And I'm just trying, I'm not trying to refine everything to its final form. I'm just trying to get a bunch of ideas out on the table, so to speak. And they'll all be 10 to 20%. Um, and then once, once I feel like I have enough of a, of a variety or I have enough seeds for this garden, then I say, okay, let's, let's get to work really kind of planting these seeds and, and making sure this thing comes to pass, like whatever. When I do that, I'll go back to the beginning, the very first one that I that I started with, I'll go back to that one, like a kind of like a conveyor belt system. Yeah. So okay. kind of start, right? Then I go back to the to the first one and I'll take it from 10 to 20%. Maybe I'll work on it and I'll get it to like 50%, somewhere between 40 to 60%, something like that. And then, you know, I'll say, okay, I don't want to get um, there's a term for it, it escapes me, but I don't want to get um like burnt out on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, down, take, yeah. I'll take it to a point where where I'm not quite burnt out, but I'm but I feel like, yeah, if I were to continue it, I might get burnt out and I put a healthy amount of time in on this. I got it to 40, 60%. Then I'll move on to the next one and I'll go down the conveyor belt again, getting everything to the 40 to 60% mark. Then when that happens, I go back to the beginning and I'll take it from you know 50 to 60, I'll take it to 100 or 90 or something like that. Close enough where I now know like this is either gonna have lyrics or not have lyrics um, and I'll get everything. So now when everything is now, be that, that, that third pass, if you will, Everything then is the music is all 80 to 100% somewhere in there. Then I'll then I'll go back to the beginning, do the lyrical pass. When I do the lyrical pass, that I will I, I will finish all of the lyrics before I move on from song. I'm not gonna start these lyrics, okay. get them halfway, and then do another set of lyrics because I'm trying to stay in that space. Um, and maybe that has to do with the fact that when you're doing music, it's not. Um, I guess it's more it's more intuitive, uh, emotional, abstract, non-linear thinking, mm. right? But when I'm, when you're adding a lyrical component, you necessarily engage your intellect or your, I don't know if that's the right phrase, but there's a, there's a logical intellectual thing that comes in. It's still creative. You're still, you still have an emotion side and intuitive side, all that. But now there's this extra thing that like it has to be coherent. It has to be, right. you have to, you have to be speaking in a way that people understand what you're saying. So, so it, it, it invariably will introduce another element that maybe isn't necessarily there in the music comp composition side. Hmm. Um, and so maybe that's why, or maybe that's not why. But either way, when I when I do when I begin the lyric pass on that first song, I will complete all the lyrics on that song before I move on. I'll complete the lyrics, then I'll record the lyrics, but I won't mix the song. I'll just complete the lyrics, record the lyrics, move on to the next song, write the lyrics, record the lyrics, move on to the next song, okay. et cetera. Then when I'm done with that, I go back. Now you're mixing. Now I'm like, okay, now let's mix everything. I mean, when you're doing the music on its own, you kind of are, to some degree, you're starting to mix it as you're making it, but you're not like really mixing it, mixing it. Um, but after I go back and, 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 and I'm done with the lyrics and all that, then I'm, I'm now I'm really mixing it. I'm mixing the vocal like legit and I'm, and I'm starting to fine tune the mix of the music and getting the two to play together nice. Um, and 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 that point, uh, we'll usually I'll try to mix the whole song. I'll get it to like, again maybe somewhere between seventy to one hundred percent done. Go down the conveyor belt, then come back and start really doing the fine the fine tuning. Super like that last ten percent or that last five percent. So it's a conveyor belt system for me, um, and it always begins with the music, then goes to the lyrics, then goes to the mixing. Some I know some people they have a different process. They might start with lyrics, and then build like the song around that. I, I well. I can't say I know that, but that's my impression from people is when I see like rather people yeah. talk about this or regular songwriters, uh, they seem to, that seems to be a thing where you start with a lyric and then build a song around it. I can't relate to that at all. Um, <laughs> because to me, the, the, the music is informing the lyrics. Mm. So when it comes to like, what is your song about? Right. Well, I'm not, I'm not 
in um in the ether in the abstract saying i'm gonna make a, I'm, I'm gonna write a song about xyz no it's like i made this music so now the question is what does what is this music about or what is this music um what is it evoking in me? Mm. What is it? What is it pulling out of me? And so the music then pulls the lyrics out of you, rather than having lyrics and then you try to ma have the lyric pull the music out of you. I, I maybe that's a, I'm sure that's a thing for people, but not for me. So it always starts with the music and then that informs the lyrics. If there would are, you, would you say that you like hear a lot of the music in your head before you even compose, or are you kind of just start plunking around and messing with buttons until you hear something that you like? more often than not it's more exploratory you're improvising okay. you're experimenting and you're kind of just seeing where the discovery process takes you occasionally uh sometimes there have been stuff where you i'll have all of a sudden i'll have a certain melody in my head and i'll explore that um and that always sounds like a cooler story like, <laughs> like, oh, just come, it just comes to him oh it just he just hears it yeah he, he knows where it comes from like that's cool you know what i mean but that's for, for the most part that's not me um yeah. it's more exploratory um, but there's something in that that I also find, although it's less appreciated, um, I find that that's kind of has its own value. It's like, yeah, I didn't know where I was going to end up until I ended up where I ended up. And there's something cool about that, you know? Um, I don't know. It kind of yeah. reminds me of, of sculptors who kind of just start chipping away at a block and all of a sudden their piece comes out, you know, it's. Yeah. And I suppose some of those sculptors, if asked, I bet you, you find some that would say, yeah, I knew exactly what was there the whole time. And you'll mm -hmm. have others say, I didn't really know what it was, but until I, until I started working with it and right. then, I, then, yeah. I, then I discovered what it was and I'm more that I'm more yeah. that for the most part, I'm discovering it as I go. Is that something uh, that may have happened with, so I guess a lot of people who are listening to this may know your work from, uh, from the mind heist track that's been, you know, released through the inception, you know, marketing promotions. And uh, I feel like a lot of people found you through that. It was that, a track that you just kind of fell into the same way? Or was that uh, something that maybe you were kind of picking at over the last few years and then you just kind of found, you know, the, that final foundation for it? Uh, so, yeah. So to the first part of the question, that is how a lot of people kind of came to know about me. Yeah. Even though the use in the trailer campaign was, was it's not like it's credited. It's, an, it's you know, basically it's an anonymous use, right? Yeah. That, any, any music in a trailer never gets credited. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I guess the nature of that music really resonated with people such, to such a degree that they wanted to figure out where it came from. And that is how uh, I was kind of put on the map in a large way. Like there's, some, I, ha I had a fan base before that, yeah. but nowhere to the degree that I did after that. Um, so yeah, but to your question as to whether that's something that was like picked at or, um, I, I well, if I answer it in a general fashion, occasionally there are songs that, man, I know there's something here, but for whatever reason in the moment, I cannot uh, seem to, I can't seem to take it where I want it to go or where it wants to go. And I can't figure out why and you just put it on the side. Um, and then you might come back to it like years later and you take another stab and some, and I, and so in, to switch for a second and the, um, the album Nomad, there were a couple of songs on there that had been with me for years, many, many mm. years. Normally that's not the okay. case. Normally it's like an album. I'm in that, for that period of time, whatever happened in that period of time happened, and that's that's what that's what you get on the album. But on Nomad, it was it was that plus the fact that there were two or three songs that had been with me for many many years that I could never just I could never just get it for some reason. Like it always closed, but not quite right. And then uh, for whatever reason, then at that period I could. Um, so sometimes that happens, but more often than not, that's not the case for me. 
it's usually rare. And that was not the case with mind heist. That was not something that was like hanging around for years that um, just had needed the right moment or something, you know, that came together at that time. Oh, okay. How did it come to be, be the music for the trailer? Like, uh, you know, you, you say you never really made a ton of connections, uh, at least in college and whatnot. Like how, how do you get your music from just being something you've written to being used right. for a trailer or for whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, because, because basically, even though I'm not, uh, for the most part, I am not doing and have not done uh, custom score for projects, it still is the case that a lot of my music gets used in film or TV or commercials or whatever. And so, yeah, and there's this question of like, how do you make that happen? Um, and there's no single answer, but in my particular case, the pathway was through a music supervisor. So wow. I figured out, so when I was, if, if we go back to the Nine Leaves era, that 10 years before I was a solo artist, right? Where I'm making music, I'm making songs uh, with, with, these other, with these other lyricists um, under the collective Nine Leaves. And our goal initially was to get signed um, by a label. And then at somewhere along the way, we realized like, yeah, I don't really know if that's gonna happen because the, every time we, we kind of hit that, uh, every time we had conversations with people at a label, it, they would always say things like, oh, you know, it's really interesting. We don't really know what to do with it though. I'm not really sure. It doesn't really fit into our, our narrow boxes that we're used to, right? So we kind of got the, the hint like, okay, if this is gonna happen, it's gonna be of our own accord. And I uh, had made a, a, we had made an attempt to kind of try to try to start our own independent label and get it out there. Okay, long story short, that was a massive failure insofar as lots of time and energy and money was spent trying to like break nine leaves, right? That ended up just not having any success. And so on the, the aftermath of that, when I'm kind of reassessing, okay, where do I go from here? One of the things I realized is, and this is, and I'm doing this also, it, it all coincided the, the failure of that with the life taking everybody in different ways with me now being a solo artist as a forced hand. Um, that all kind of happened simultaneously, like they all overlapped each other. And so now here I am and I'm finishing up this, what is, was going to become Empty Room, the album. And I'm asking myself like, how am I gonna proceed? Because I, I know from my past experience that I'm not into, um, I'm just not a fan of like doing the touring thing and, and trying to do performances and, and, trying to, and, try, and trying to fund PR and marketing and trying to convince people that they should listen to me and that persuade people that, it, that my music is really good and you should really check me out. Like it's just not my, not my style, not my speed. And I know a lot of people feel that way, but it's always viewed as the necessary evil, right? Yeah. It's always like, whatever your project is, whatever you've done, like if nobody knows about it, like what's the point? Like you have to embrace the marketing and the promotion, whatever. Like, so I, I'm not refuting that. But I'm just saying that at that time of Empty Room, I had done that or attempted to do that as best of my ability to great financial loss. And I had, oh. and I had basically come to a, a position where I was saying, okay, I know basically I want, I, if I'm gonna do this, I wanna do it in a way that's authentic to me. Uh, and if I can't do it in a way that's authentic to me, then I just won't do it as a career. I'll, I'll do it privately and whatever. And so the only pathway forward as I'm trying to reconcile, wait, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. It didn't lead me anywhere. And at the same time, I'm recognizing the, the reality that, um, but if you don't do that, how can you ever succeed? The, the threading the needle there for me, I was, well, maybe, maybe if I can get placements in film and TV, right? Maybe if I could, if I could like find music supervisors that saw um, the cinematic quality of the music and and may, maybe they could like i don't know get some licensing placements and that could be a means through which i can kind of thread the needle now of course that's 
saying like, oh, that's my brilliant idea. I'm gonna have music supervisors like take my stuff and license it, right? That's kind of the same thing as saying, yeah, I'm gonna find a, a label who's gonna sign me. It's essentially the same thing, but now you've just shifted the, uh, the geographies slightly, right? Um, but for whatever reason, when it came to the music supervisor side, um, I, I had a little bit of luck that I didn't have on the label side, the record mm -hmm. label side. And so for music supervisors, um, we did, I, I was sending out a bunch of music to all kinds of people that I never met. Also, they're all unsolicited requests, right? <laughs> which, are, which are, which is exactly what doesn't work, right? Yeah. <laughs> and any article you would read online about music supervisors and how to pitch and this and that will all tell you that, you know, um, more, 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 more often than not, the, an unsolicited request will come in and go out, it will come in into the trash or come in and get ignored, right? But what else, but I have no other option. So, yeah. um, so I, I did a, a mass unsolicited request to a bunch of people. And this was with the, whatever the last nine lease album was, right? Cause this is right before Empty, Empty Room hadn't been done yet, but I'm in the transition zone, if you will. And uh, so when I was sending out that last nine lease album to people um, or to music supervisors, none of them ever responded but there was one guy who did respond who happened to click it happened to listen to it and his his, his name is rudy chung and uh he was a music supervisor with um hit the ground running and then he ended up really liking the music i ended up having a relationship with him he ended up going from hit the ground running starting a a, a new company called pusher that was exclusively um involved in licensing for film trailers and specifically licensing artists for film trailers rather than like uh trailer houses or you know um yeah i guess it's his own niche but he was trying to bring in artists from the songwriting record community bring them over who have like a, a cinematic quality and sound and, and 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 kind of provide this unique sound that wasn't being explored i guess in the in their view in the trailer world at that time so anyhow so that is how the bridge got traversed because he happened, he happened to be the one who responded to the unsolicited request. He happened to be starting a new company that was specifically focused on trailer licensing. And then that happened to lead to the opportunities where some of these films ended up gravitating towards my music and liking it. And then they happened to decide to, to use it in the trailer. <laughs> and then that use happened to resonate with people such that they went out of their way to find out where it came from. Uh -huh. And here we are. So there's That's a lot awesome. of luck. There's a lot of luck involved in that, obviously. Um, it's both. It's the meeting. Of, it's the meeting of luck and, I guess, preparation. Or I don't know. I don't even know if it's the right term. It's not really preparation. But by preparation, I mean, you can have all the luck in the world. But if, but at the end of the day, if if what you've built is inadequate, it doesn't matter, right? And then conversely, if you build the most amazing uh, cathedral of whatever, metaphorically speaking, but you don't have any luck, it's like no one's coming to the cathedral, right? So it's, yeah. you need a little bit of both. Um, but my feeling was that rather than, because and this is, comes from the my artist mentality, um, which is different than the entertainer mentality, right? So they're two different things. But from the artist mentality, just to, to clear that up, the difference between an artist and an, and an entertainer is the artist creates as a means in and of itself. Um, so the, the artist creates whatever they find inherently satisfying the entertainer creates as a means to an end. They're creating something that they think you will like, something that they think people will wanna see, right? And neither one is, uh, nothing's wrong with either model, um, but they kind of lead to a different 
decision-making process psychologically. And so in my mind, I, I was subscribing to the model of if you build it, they will come. And I just felt like if I just keep doing what I'm doing and I just make music that resonates with me, I believe there's a high chance it will resonate with others. And, and that's the philosophy with which that I said, yeah, I know I'm making all these unsolicited requests, but if, if you, if, if you click it, like, they might like it, you know what I mean? It might, that might be enough. Right. And so, and it just so happened that, that, that gamble paid off, but it very much easily could, could have not paid off. And I was aware of that and I was okay with that. Right. So, um, but yeah, so fortunately it did pay off in a big way and here we are. So now it, it, it ended up leading to a lot of usages in uh, film and TV. The, but what was fortunate is that at some point there's a, there's like a feedback mechanism, right? Um, when you begin and you're obscure, no one knows you. It's like, there's this giant wall you're trying to get over. Like you're trying to get what you do over the wall. But once you get something over the wall, then sometimes that leads to other things on its own. Yeah. So it, it you start to go downhill rather than uphill. And that's what happened with licensing, especially with the, the use of Mind Tice in that Inception campaign is it started to um, make not just fans aware of me, but other filmmakers or editors or other music supervisors also aware. And then they were kind of curious. And so before you know it, somebody, because they heard Mind Heist on the Inception trailer is now gonna, you know, heard some other song from The Way or heard some other song from Ronin and now they're gonna use it in their show or their commercial or their whatever. And so, um, I mean, there's, again, there's no guarantees. There's nothing, there's nothing that obligates or forces anybody else in the industry to say they're gonna use my song, right? Um, and there's nothing that forces the fact or, or, or obligates that to the extent that somebody wants to, that the terms are gonna be acceptable or that we're gonna be able to come to an agreement. Like none of it is in stone, none of it's guaranteed. Um, but somehow it all has kind of worked out and continues to do so. So very yeah. fortunate in that regard. And I, I would say that you, um, uh, your music and the fact that, you know, you and Rudy came together, you guys are responsible for, uh, you know, turning trailers into an art form instead of just a simple marketing tool. I feel like in the last, what, 12, 13 years, trailers have gone from, oh, that was, that was pretty cool too. Now we're, we're waiting to see trailers and expecting like great music, uh, you know, great synchronization and just an amazing advertising platform. But when it comes to them licensing the use of your music, do you have any sort of like contract through that that allows you to obtain residuals for its use? Or is it one of those, uh, you know, we'll give you like a buyout fee to use this for X amount of, you know, months or years. And then we'll just, we'll, we'll revisit it if we want to use it again. Okay. So the first part, um, I appreciate the sentiment in terms of ha you, you, the, the assertion that I've, me and, and Rudy changed the trailer landscape. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I'm not really in a position to figure out if that's the case. I, I do agree that if that um, trailers have become their own art form and there is something distinct to the art of making the trailer and the expectations that come with seeing the trailers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was already in play <laughs> before I showed up. I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, but to the extent to the extent that I had any positive contribution, that's awesome, you know. But I don't know if I did or not. Um, but when, when it comes to the licensing and, and, and all that and how that works, um, it can really run the gamut. Some people, um, so I'll step out of, outside of myself and I'll just answer it in the general fashion first. Sometimes people will look to buy something out such that uh, that they own it, right? Like they either commission you to, to, to make a piece of music that they will then pay you a buyout fee and then they will own that. Um, or if to the extent that you had a, a, an existing track they that they wanted to buy the rights from you i mean that's less usually if someone's going to own it it's because they're commissioning you to make it and they want to give you a buyout fee so that's one model that 
sometimes happens. The other model would be let not a buyout, but a licensing fee. On the, on the licensing side, it's they're not going to own it. You're going to retain your ownership, but they're going to pay you a fee to use it in whatever way. In this project, in this media, for this number of years, something like that, right? Um, when that happens, sometimes the, the agreement might have a, a set term, might be one year or six months or two years or whatever. Um, and then after that term, it's over that they know they stop using that piece of music in that way. Um, other times the term may end, but there's a, a renewal option that they get where they can, they can renew it for another year automatically at, at a predetermined rate or something. Um, and then other times it might, might be that, um, they want to license something from you, but they want to do it on an exclusive basis, right? So it's, we want to we want to license your song for our car commercial, but we don't want any other car commercial to ever be able to use the stuff while we're using it, right? So they might want an exclusive license, and that might change or would realistically inflate the fee from what it would have been if it wasn't exclusive, right? So sometimes people get really particular about they don't want anybody else to use it if they're using it. Sometimes they don't care. We don't care who uses it as long as we can. Sometimes they it's a short term. Sometimes it's a long usage. Sometimes they might say, um, like it's something usually that you'll see in trailers specifically is a lot of times they're at, they'll ask for, they don't want a finite term, they want perpetuity. They wanna be able to upload the trailer and leave it online forever and not ever have to like go back and take it down. Um, that's something that would be common to be asked for in trailer licensing, but less common with something like an advertising commercial. So an advertising commercial, it's almost, you're never gonna see a request for perpetuity because it would just be too expensive. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you, but in the advertising commercial space, you might see the, the six month or one year or two years or something like that. So it can really run the gamut. Um, and then of course, depending on depending on what we're talking about and, and who's behind it depends on the budget levels involved and depending on whether you are a, um, you know, uh, a composer who's, who's part of, who, whose music is inside a, uh, 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 like a, a licensing library versus if you are, um, an artist versus if you are a uh, artist signed to a major record label versus an independent artist out of your garage, right? So all depending on who you are, who they are, how they see you, how you see you, how you're comfortable, what you're not comfortable <laughs> with, right? Depends on how all that gets leveraged and negotiated. In addition to the fact that to what degree do they think that they can replace that if you guys couldn't come to terms, to what degree do they think they could easily replace your song with somebody else's, right? Mm. So if I'm just a dude in a guitar, right? Maybe they go, well, there's lots of dudes with guitars. Like, you know, he's not, it, it doesn't, he doesn't, his fee doesn't warrant what he's asking for. We'll just replace him. But if I'm, maybe I'm a dude with a guitar, but I have a voice like Ray LaMontagne and there's only one Ray LaMontagne, right? <laughs> so it's like, oh, well you can't, good luck trying to find another dude who sounds like me, right? Then then it might change your, uh, the, 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 the value that you have, right? In their, in their eyes, I'm, I'm speaking. So, but regardless of how they see you, there's also how you see you. And, and you don't necessarily need to have a, a firm justification for why you see you the way that you do. Um, you cannot, you know what I mean? So sometimes people are just not okay with something and sometimes they are. Um, and sometimes people will make certain deals that other people would never make. And they'd be like, I can't believe you made that deal. And then that's, it's okay to disagree. So, um, so there's, no, there's no single path through the licensing landscape is the short version of what I just said. <laughs> um, I am so curious. Would you, if given the opportunity, compose a score for a show, like a movie of, of any kind, or do you think that that's not really how you work? Uh, I, well, never say never. Yeah, I would. I would basically for me, I'm always open to considering anything. If you ask me uh, realistically, what's the likelihood that that would happen? I'd say probably not that likely, um, only because. 
if you think of the scope of film films and shows in the world, right? If you think of every film and every show is ever made or that is made in any given year, and you go, what percentage of them really speak to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the answer is something other than the majority, right? There's, there, there's, maybe there's, maybe there's a small piece that you're like, man, that's just awful. That's bad. Right. And then maybe there's a really large chunk that it's okay. It's, 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 it's not bad. It's not great. It's whatever. It's a cut, whatever. It's okay. It entertained me, right? Whatever, something like that. And then there's a small, and then there's another small piece on the other end, which is like, man, that was some, that was special. That was really, I would have given anything to be part of that. Right. So, so the part of me that says, well, I would always be open to considering anything. It's like, yeah, if there was something that came along, an opportunity that came along and I felt that way about it, like, man, this is really special. There's, there's something here that makes me feel like, yeah, this would be worth my time. When I say worth, I don't mean monetarily, I'm saying worth my time. Like uh, it's worth me to make the time investment to see this through because I believe in the project or it resonates with me, or I think that there's something special being said that I can contribute to and whatever, whatever scenario, right? That would be it. You'd be, you would be doing it. If you were to do it, you'd be doing it with that small piece that resonates with you, but you're not in a position to control what comes your way. Right? Yeah. yeah, and you're not in a position to uh, to determine like what opportunities you'll have, and even and even sometimes when the opportunity comes, you, you may not be in a in a position to really determine is it does it fit in that category now, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's more from that standpoint where it's like you know I'm not interested in I don't want to spend time working on something that doesn't matter to me, right? Um, and that's when I say that I mean that for me and for you. So you, the general you of somebody who's made a film and you're coming to me, right? I don't want to waste my time or your time, right? You should have somebody working on your project who's fucking excited to yeah. be working on it, who's, who's downright enthusiastic, who's, who's like salivating at the thought of it. Like, that's who you want, right? You don't want someone who's begrudgingly, well, I don't know, I feel obligated. I guess I don't want to say no, right? That, that's awful to me. Like, I wouldn't want to, I, I wouldn't want to, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't want somebody working on that who saw it as just an opportunity or just a paycheck or just a whatever, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that people who take opportunities because they're a paycheck are doing something bad. Like, everybody's doing what they got to do. But I'm saying I am in a position where I don't have to do that. And because I don't have to do that, I feel the moral obligation not to do that for your sake. <laughs> Putting aside the fact <laughs> that for my sake, I also wouldn't want to spend time doing something that I wasn't really that interested in because I can, I'll, I'll spend that time in other ways creatively that do interest me that I, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, so realistically, I don't think it's like likelihood, but it's, but it's not the case that it's will never happen. Ne- could never happen. You know, um, I once scored a short film called the candidate that um, was this scenario. Like the, the guy reached out to me, it was a short film. He sent it to me. Uh, the director's name was David Carlack. He sends me this uh, this film, and I watch this film. I was like, "Man, this this is I I really like this, right?" Um, so I'll do it. it, like right. So it can be that it can be that simple. Um, but more often than not, that doesn't happen. More often than not, well, first of all, not, it's not everybody and their mothers reaching out to me to score a film. So that's <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, but to, to the extent that it does happen, you know, sometimes it's like just a project doesn't. Just I'm just not. Not, not doing anything for me. And so therefore it, it, you don't, you don't want me on your project if it doesn't do anything for me. But beyond that, it's also, uh, there's scheduling issues. It's like, okay, even if I do like your project, which has happened where people have sent me stuff, I'm like, ah, oh, this is really nice. Um, this, this could be cool. But, um, but, but depending on the timeline, when you need, you know, start, start now. And then, and it's like, yeah, but that's kind of, that's kind of going to fuck me up because I'm in the middle of making this album that really matters to me. <laughs> right. So it's like, I, to, to your point before, uh, in order to do this film, I'd have to shelve this project, 
right? And I'm just like, I just don't know if I can do I'm in the middle of this project. I can't shelve this project to do yours. Like if the timing was different and I was done with it, I was in between projects or I didn't, I didn't have another project. I didn't know what I was going to do. Then, okay, then, then maybe it could have worked. So there's just, there's just so many things that have to happen in, in my view to make it make sense for all parties that I would say more likely than not, it's, it's, I'm not holding my breath that, that will happen, but, um, but it has happened on occasion in the past where I've done like a short film or something like that. There, there on occasion, there have been times where someone has reached out uh, to do a, a feature length score that I initially said yes to, and then didn't work out either because um, they disappeared or because the project didn't end up manifesting or for some other reason, like some, so sometimes there have been a handful of times where I said yes, and it didn't, it didn't end up coming to pass uh, really not, not on account of me, but on account of other factors. So you never know is the, is the short answer, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> and I watch something's going to pop up in the next couple of days. Yeah, right. Oh, I was just talking about this. <laughs> um, since we're, uh, we're running lower on, uh, on time, I do want to bring out our last few questions. And uh, one of them being, do you have any advice for somebody who is looking to either, you know, get into the music industry or become a composer or, um, like you did with, uh, with your documentary, um, birth, become a filmmaker, you know, from a different part of the industry. Do you have any advice for them that you'd like to pass along? Uh, well, I feel like there are two questions there and, uh, I'm not sure which one you want to, you want to tackle, but the, the first one be if someone, if, if someone's looking to get in the music industry, um, the, the base well, or any industry, the, the basic thing I would say is there's no, there's no single path. Right. Mm. So in my view, the first thing you need to figure out is who you are. You got to figure out like, when I say who you are, I mean, not necessarily your creative voice. I mean, who you are, like psychologically, who are you? Are you, are you an artist? Are you trying to make something as an end in itself? Because, because you find it just inherently satisfying and you hope others will, but at the end of the day, you're not trying to cater to them. Or are you an entertainer where you're trying to create something that people will want to see and you're trying to take in their, their sensibilities. You're trying to take in what you think they will like and that's informing your creative decision process. Um, that's gonna be a different pathway than the artist pathway. Are you a, uh, are you a like an activist where you're, you're creating something that you think people need to see, right? Um, that's gonna, might also change your your pathway are you uh, a craftsperson where you're 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 making whatever you're asked to make like that's a different pathway so the first thing is you got to kind of figure out like which person you are and then from there knowing what person you are then you should then you kind of should know what am i comfortable with what am i not comfortable with um because so so for example um if you're if you're if you're an artist in the music industry um you 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 trying to chase trends right what's what's popular right now what's what what's really in quote unquote on the, like doesn't matter if you're not like doesn't matter stop thinking about that right that's not helping you that's distracting you and it's confusing you right because that's not who you are if you're an entertainer that does matter right that does matter like yeah what 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 what's trending on the spotify playlist i don't even know if that's a thing but uh <laughs> do they trend i don't know but uh whatever what's trending or what's on what, what's on the radio or what's here or what's there or what types of uh what types of usages licensing wise like what types of music or trailers using right now right if you're an entertainer uh, or something like that then or you're a composer who's not really an artist composer but more of a craftsperson composer right then yeah then you can be anticipate you can be paying attention to what people are using and then trying to target your creations to mimic that or or fill that or anticipate where the where you think it's going to go and try to try to 
try to anticipate that and create something where you think the industry is heading towards, right? That would, so that's on the creative side, right? Know who you are. So then you know how you should be creating what you're creating. And then once you have it created, then there's this next step, which is, well, how do, how do I get it out there? And that's the age old, if there was an easy answer to that, like we wouldn't, no one would be asking these questions, right? Because for every person who figures out an answer, um, there's thousands and thousands of other people for whom that answer did not work out. So my view, the way I simplify that is to say, again, if you make something that resonates with you, it has a high chance of resonating with others. And all you can do is make, if we're talking about music or film, whatever, uh, all you can do is make the best music or best song or best film that you can make and then get it out in front of whoever you have the ability to get it out in front of and then hope for the best. And then that, that's basically it. You can't, you cannot control what somebody else will feel about it or if somebody else will share your feelings about it or if they'll um, want to do something with it or share it. You can't, you have no control over that. So uh, to me, I just shut that off. If I, like my advice would be shut that off, right? Go in with your eyes open. Yeah, it's, all this is, if you're talking about somebody who hasn't quote unquote made it yet. Uh, yeah, go in with your eyes open, do the best you can, make the best stuff you can, get it in front of whoever you can, cross your fingers, and then whatever happens, happens, you know? Um, and, and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But my view is, um, you, I, like for me, when I set out to pull off the Hail Mary, uh, I, was, I, I knew more likely than not, it wouldn't work out. Um, and I just, I looked at my bank account at that time, right? So now this is my bank account, post-independent label <laughs> failures, right? Uh, and I said, how much longer can I last, right? Um, and basically, I just said, I'll go at it for as long as I can until my funds go from this. Well, people are listening, they're not seeing. <laughs> my, my funds go from wherever they are to, let's say, 5%, right? Yeah. Or 10 whatever your minimum floor is, right? I will fight as long as I can fight until I can't fight anymore, right? And then if I, if I hit that, I'll, I'll try to hold off that, that um, failure state, right? I'll try to not hit that mark as best I can. Um, and, 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 and if I can, great. And if not, then, then I tried as much as I could and so be it. But then at least I can die knowing I gave it my all. I tried, didn't work out, but I will not, I will not be 20 years down the line looking back on, I wonder what, I wonder if I could have pulled it off. I wonder if it would have worked out. Now, some people are not like that. Like I'm somebody who, if I didn't, if I didn't make the shot, if I didn't give it a shot and try, try to go for it, I would definitely regret that. I'd be thinking, man, like, what, what did I do? How did I not like, I was 22 or I was 18 or I was 31 or I was, I didn't have a family yet or I did or whatever. Like now, now I'm 72 and I'm like, like I would be wondering what would have happened. Um, if you're someone who doesn't, who doesn't have that uh, characteristic and you, and you, if you're someone who needs the sure thing, you need the certainty, then maybe this is, maybe this is not the right thing for you. Maybe if you're someone who deals with certainties and guarantees, maybe you need to pick a different path. Um, but you know, the other thing is in large part, quote unquote, making it, uh, and when I say making it, what I really mean is getting to a place where uh, whatever it is you're doing is able to sustain you. If you're able to do that consistently, whatever you're doing is sustaining you, then, then I feel like you've made it, like you're, you're whatever. Um, so that's my definition that I'm going by. Um, but in, in large part, making it uh, is, a, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question of how long can you tread water until a wave comes in and takes you to shore or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and depending on your lifestyle, depending on your uh, level of discipline, depending on your um, desires and whatever, uh, will determine how, how, how long you can go, how long you can last. It's like a, um, 
for, for me at the time that I was trying to make it, my rent was $600 a month. I was in this tiny ass apartment, right? Uh, living with my sister. Um, I had this small studio, my, my room, my bedroom and my studio were all in one thing, super tiny. Um, I had no car. I had like, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything like, right. So I was, but so in that type of lifestyle, I was able to really last. Right. Yeah. But if I had, but if I had, uh, if I had a mortgage and I had this and I had that and the kids and whatever, then obviously you can't last as long. So your all, your, your particular set of conditions are going to determine how long you can, you can take a crack at it and how long you'll last and whether or not you have other people helping you or not, or whether you have, um, whether you built up a buffer from you, maybe you got some other job that you've been supporting yourself and you build up the savings and then you're kind of just waiting till that savings hits a certain mark. And then you're going to go, once it hits this, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to go, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go for it. Right. That's kind of my, that's what I did essentially. Um, not everybody's cut out for that, but some people are. So you got to figure out who you are and, and, and kind of find your own path that, that works for you. But um, your other way to interpret your question was, which I don't know if you were getting at was, if you're someone who's in one field, like I'm in music mainly, and then you go to switch fields to make a film, that career switch has its own set of things to navigate. Um, so I don't know if you, if that was part of your question as well, but I'm not sure. Oh, it was, I mean, it was mainly the, the music part, but I just, I wanted to throw in the fact that you, you know, you, you made a documentary film. It was last year, right? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, released it last October. It's on iTunes and Vimeo On Demand. It's called Birth. And it's a feature length documentary about childbirth. Um, so, awesome. and, and that was a, that was definitely a harrowing, a uh, little bit, um, I don't know if harrowing is the right word, but it's, it was, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it was a little intimidating, right? It's like, cause, cause you, you, you want to make a film, but you're not a filmmaker. So what do you do when you're not a filmmaker, but you want to make a film, right? And, and, and so transitioning those two things, like how do you go from, from one ecosystem to another? Mm -hmm. um, again, there's no firm way, but kind of the short answer for me was, I felt like, all right, at, at root, fundamentally, what filmmaking and songwriting have in common is it's both storytelling, right? And it's like, I may not be a filmmaker. I may not have that formal training or I didn't go through that background or whatever, but I know how to tell a story, right? And there's no one right way to tell a story. So I felt confident that, yeah, if I could just, if I could, if I could figure out, get a handle on kind of like the gear, what I would need, how could I, how would I, how could I strategize this in the right way? If I'm doing this as like a one man crew, um, if I could come up with the right, if, if, if I can, if I could get my, my head around the technical side um, and get a sufficient level of proficiency, right? I knew I didn't need to become the world's most amazing cinematographer. I don't need to become, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg with this camera. Like I just, I need to, I need to get my head around the technical side and get to a minimum level of proficiency with that gear. Then I can leverage my existing uh, skill sets, right? As a storyteller, I can bring that to bear in this other medium in my own way, right? Um, so that, that, that that's kind of the approach that I took and then I kind of, everything followed from there. But um, yeah, another big gamble. It's like, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna make this documentary the whole documentary is it basically takes you through uh, labor and delivery, right? So there's been, a, first of all, there's not a lot of documentaries about birth in the world. There's like a handful of them, right? Uh, basically, um, and and basically any any documentary you've seen about birth or anytime you go to like Vimeo or something and you type in birth and you see other people's births, 
usually you're getting you're getting dropped in for like five minutes or, or 20 seconds or whatever you're 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 given this out of context sliver of this very long process right but it's a long process not simply like time-wise it's long it's a it's a larger process emotionally there's a whole arc that's happening on a psychological level that basically never gets explored or as far as i can tell never has been explored via film you can find childbirth books that will talk about like well, they'll say things like how transformative it is or this or that but that but for many people not not having gone through birth you read that you go okay you just the transform <laughs> okay you you intellectually understand it but you can't relate to it right and then on top of that you know historically people would um when we grew up well not we but like historically you would have communities such that when somebody went into birth it's like you know the it's it's the wife it's, it's a laboring woman and the daughters and the and the friends and the neighbors and the whatever right everybody's coming up it's like there's a community environment you grew up probably having attended other births right helping out bringing the water doing this doing that right you were exposed to it you have a certain understanding of it right but it, but today the the first time people encounter birth is when they are going into birth right so they have no they have no past frame of reference yeah. for it and then and then what happens is their only frame of reference is what they see in hollywood right which what do they do in Hollywood? They try to they 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 try to accentuate the the fear angle or the whatever whatever gets the most the, the 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 highest emotional impact. Which the easy thing to do is to try to to turn it into the fear and scary and this and that and the screaming and the whatever right makes great TV right. That's kind of what ends up happening. And so now you have this distorted sense of what childbirth is um, from its depiction in Hollywood, and then you also have um, distorted senses from the fact that because these things feed back on themselves, right? So because people go into birth essentially unprepared, having no familiarity or, or, or frame of reference, um, then to the extent that they have bad experiences, then they tell other people about their bad experiences, right? And then it becomes, oh yeah, it's birth is just inherently awful. Birth is just, all, right? So there's all this scaremongering and fear-mongering that everybody kind of grows up on. Um, and it, it just leads to, it leads to suboptimal outcomes, right? Yeah. Um, but when I say, and when I say suboptimal outcomes, I don't mean, uh, like with respect to healthy babies, I'm saying with respect to positive experience versus negative experience. And a lot of that comes from people's um, exposure to birth being out of context and um, just, uh, what do you call it? Like not disfigured, but distorted, right? So, so yeah. people's exposures to birth are out of context and um, that leads to, it's just, it's, it's just, it's unfortunate because it is an amazing thing in and of itself, right? It's not, yes, it's amazing. Yes, there's a, there's a human at the end of it. Yes, it's, ama it's amazing because of that. But I don't mean it in the cliche way. There's this tiny human at the end. Yes, that's awesome. It is. But I'm saying beyond that, there's another thing happening mm. that a lot of people are not tapped into. Um, and so what I was trying to do with this film was actually properly contextualize the whole birth experience. You're seeing, you're not just being, you're not just being shown a, a, a baby being delivered out of like left field, right? You're not, <laughs> it's not just some woman moaning out of nowhere that you have no way to, to process. It's the entire labor, right? You're seeing before the labor, you're seeing the entirety of the labor and you're seeing the delivery and you're seeing after the delivery and you're, you get the entire context um, such that you are, you are basically in the room. You're in the room the whole way, right? It's like you're there. This is as close as you can get to a birth 
short of being there yourself physically. Um, but, but beyond simply being in the room, you're also, uh, you're getting let in on the subjective experience of what's happening. Because if you, because birth can look one way from the outside and feel totally different from the inside as the, as the laboring woman or the attending midwife or the whatever, the partner who's in the room or whatever, right? So it can look one way and feel another. And, and so the, the film is also bridging that gap. Mm. It's, it's, it's giving you access to the subjective experience. You're hearing from everybody who was actually there, right? They're all telling you what's going on, what, what they're feeling as it's happening, both the laboring woman and everybody else who's there. Um, and sometimes if, you, if it wasn't for that, you might, you might see something, have a certain reaction to it. But when, you, but when you hear now the person talking about what it felt like at that time or whatever, all of a sudden you now have to reconcile these two things that don't seem to go together. And you're like, wait a second, what is that? How's that, right? So there's a lot to be learned. Um, and the film is an attempt to kind of do birth justice on the psychological subjective level and to fully contextualize it in a way that never been done as far as I can tell. Um, so in so doing, the viewer kind of gets access to something that up until now, I feel like has been inaccessible, unfortunately. But now it is accessible. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that, oh, uh, someone's gonna watch this documentary and they're gonna walk away going, I wanna have a home birth. Like, cause mm -hmm. it's not, a, it's, this is not the film. You are seeing a labor that is happening at home Right, so it's an unmedicated labor at, at home, which is my house actually. But uh, it is not a, it's not a diatribe for you should birth this way. The, the film does not tell you how to birth. And me as the filmmaker, I'm, I'm not interested in telling you how to birth or what to do. Like, it doesn't matter to me where you do, where you go or how you do it, right? You should birth in the way that is most comfortable for you. But all I'm trying to do is give information that was previously inaccessible. And whatever that information does for you, cool. If that information opens you up in such a way where you're like, wow, like I never knew birth could be this way, or I never saw birth in that way, or I have some new appreciation for birth, uh, and that informs your decisions you make, awesome. If it does the opposite and it totally scares the shit out of you, and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to do that, okay, like that's fine too. Like, you know, but again, it's about, it's about, it's just about having access to what this is, because uh, in my view, um, there's something really special that happens in birth that is has failed to be appreciated or really understood. Um, and it goes beyond simply, um, do we have healthy babies at the end? Like, of course, everybody wants healthy babies. Like that's obviously that's, that's, that's the desired mm -hmm. outcome, but there's a whole other level, whole other level. So uh, that's what that film is about. Um, and it was definitely a journey trying to make it. And it took me about two years to do so. Um, but it was good, you know? And at the end of the day, I feel like I, I, I'm very happy with, with the end result. I feel like it does exactly what I set it out to do. And um, it doesn't mean that everybody will want to watch it. Um, I would say that if you go to birththemovie.com, you can watch the trailer. And I think if you watch that trailer and it pulls you in, watch the movie. If, the, if you watch that trailer and it scares you, don't watch the movie. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to do anything. I'm not trying, it was, my intention was not to try to characterize or portray birth in a specific way, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not me trying to make it look good or make it look bad or make it scary or make it not scary. I'm just trying to present it. And then you can feel however you feel about it. And, and but it, in so doing, right? Um, and it's ironic because here I am, a composer, right? Made a film that I intentionally didn't score, right? Mm. Because 
when you score film, you you're you're there there's an end there, right? You're 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 either scoring because I want the viewer to feel a specific thing, or I I'm uh, the music is there to pull out something that maybe is inherent in the performance but not fully realized. And we're trying to we're trying to pull out or enhance the existing emotion or we're trying to guide the emotion or trying to steer the emotional experience in some way. And none of that <laughs> did I want any part of, right? I want to <laughs> present the experience primal, raw, if you will. Like uh, here's the primal experience with no, with, with no um, shading, with no influence, right? Um, and in so doing, you get a really raw primal experience. You walk away feeling like you're at the birth, right? Um, but it also it also creates an intensity. It's not I'm not I'm not trying to hide you from it. I'm not trying to shove your face in. I'm not trying to pull you away. I'm just trying to present it as it is if you were there, right? And I was there, right? So when I'm making the film, I know like, yep, this is this is authentic. This is what it's like when you're in a birth. It's exactly like this. So um, I'm trying to give you the information, the experience. But to the extent that someone doesn't, I I, I fully uh, acknowledge that there are some people for whom they will not want to choose to go on that ride, right? And that's fine. Like, that's totally okay with yeah. me. So I'm not, I'm, not telling, I'm not saying everybody should go out and watch my film. I'm saying if you're interested about birth, um, if, you, if you're going to go through birth, if you know someone is going to go through birth, right? And to the extent that someone wants to become more educated, uh, this, this, then this makes sense. To the extent that you're not going through birth, but you find birth interesting, or just the idea of like, yeah, you know, that is, Never really thought about what you know. Now that you mentioned it, I don't know what birth is. Maybe I birthed myself. Maybe 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 you, maybe you had uh, children twenty years ago, um, and it was in a hospital environment, and you have no idea what what would a home birth look like. I'm like maybe you're just curious in that standpoint. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, if you if you watch the trailer, that will tell you like whether or not it's something that you want to see or if that's a ride you want to go on. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't pretend that the experience is for everybody, but for anybody who does want to learn about birth, this is an experience that you should. Uh, in my opinion, take seriously and, and check this out. So that's my sales pitch for I love birth. it. Hell yeah. We can't wait to promote it, man. Yeah. Thank, and, and again, thank you so much for for coming on here. I'm a as of I'll probably mention in the intro, um, I'll try to dial it down, but I'm a huge fan of yours. <laughs> and uh it's it's just been awesome hearing more about your your story and having you on the on the show. And I think uh uh this is actually time for for Steph's Awesome. Oh, quick, spiel. quick pitch. Sure. Well, I also <laughs> want to reiterate, thank you so much. Um, this was really fascinating. I wish I, we had time to talk to you longer. Um, but listeners, we hope that you found Zach just as fascinating as we did. Um, thank you so much for sticking with us. Please continue to uh, like, subscribe to us on all podcast platforms. Um, if you could rate and review us as well, that'd be awesome. We'd love to send you a sticker if you do so. Um, you could always email us at pwrp.com pod at gmail.com um, with your review and we will be happily um, send you a sticker. Uh, also, uh, please continue to follow us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PWRP podcast. Awesome. And if you'd like to be a part of this awesome podcast and share your story, whether you are just starting or have a career in the arts, we'd love to talk to you. Just email us at pwrp.pod at gmail.com. And uh, Zach, I'm not sure if you've uh, listened to the show before, but at the end of every episode, we have our guests join us for a very awkward goodbye. Awkward goodbye, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All done through audio. So I'm going to give us the uh, the Wayne's World countdown, and then we'll go for the awkward <laughs> goodbye. You ready? Sounds good. <laughs> All right.
Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, that's awesome.